Good morning. Good morning. Alright. Make your way to your seats. Alright, grab your Bibles. <clears throat> grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes and chapter 1, chapter 1. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, and we're going to read from verses 1 through to 11. And as we do, may you please stand for the reading of God's word. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1 through to 11 reads, and I'm reading from the ESV version. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes round to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for you and the many good things you give us. And one of your gifts, which is smothered in your grace, is the gift of fellowship and the gift we have to gather, not to focus on ourselves, but to exalt your son, Jesus Christ. And so, God, as we seek to do that during this Sunday on reflecting of Ecclesiastes, God, may you bring about your will and your purposes in our lives. We know you want to do that. And so, God, I pray that you would give us hearts that are sensitive to the leading of your spirit so that we may live out in obedience what you call us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, this week, my father-in-law and his brother, by the way, my father-in-law, everyone, he's at the back, say hello to him, and his brother, George, I call, my, bro- my father-in-law's called Mario, um, 
and he's a handyman, he's a carpenter. His brother is called George, um, but because my father-in-law is called Mario, and they're both handymen, um, we decided it was best we'd, we called George Luigi. Um, so it's Mario and Luigi. They've been such a joy um, having them. Um, we got a golf cart, and we've been going around San Diego in a golf cart. It's a six-seater golf cart. You might have seen it in the back parking lot. Um, the battery wasn't strong enough for me to ride it up Cardino to our home, so I've, been, I've had it parked at the Soledad Club. So we've been going around in a six-seater golf cart. And one of the things Mario and Luigi do so well, Mario and George, I'm sorry, Mario and Luigi do so well, <laughs> is that they, they, they are just experts in identifying a plant or a tree and, 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 and knowing whether whatever is growing on it is edible or not. All right, and so you, I'm not kidding you. We are riding about in a golf cart, they see a tree, and they're like, Stop, stop! And I'm like, What? And they're like, That tree has fruit, we should eat. And so they get out, <laughs> they get out, and they start picking fruit. And I'm like, Is this fruit poisonous? Is it not? What's happening? But they know. Um, and there was one tree, man, that no one picks fruit like this in San Diego. Okay, no one does. There was one tree that had these things just growing on them. And, and they stopped, they asked me to stop the car and they wanted to grab it. And it's not, I don't even know what it was. It was the weirdest thing ever, but they said it was edible. They had me try it. I thought it was disgusting. <laughs> but they convinced me that this is really not the season for them. And at the right season, I should go around and pick some, and it will taste just like honey. We'll see about that. <laughs> it's been a joy having them. It's been a joy having my father-in-law. And he's been incredibly um, helpful to me throughout my time in um, studying for Ecclesiastes. I would call him some weeks and he would tell me, I would say, gosh, I'm wrestling with this passage and Ecclesiastes, want to get your thoughts, what do you think? And he would share with me his thoughts. And one of the things he often told me about Ecclesiastes was how true <laughs> that the, the wisdom and the content of Ecclesiastes was, he was just like, it's so true. And I said, why? And he said, man, like, life is definitely futile and fleeting. You're here today and you're gone tomorrow. And I remember one conversation, listening to my father-in-law, and he just telling me just how, like, quickly his life has, had gone. Um, and how he's already at this age with, you know, adult children and grandchildren, you know? And I just was blown away by that. This week is our final week in the book or looking at Ecclesiastes. Um, and as you guys, as we read, the book of Ecclesiastes begins and ends. Um, with, um, with the words, with these words of vanity, of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. 
And that section we just read, I believe, does a really good job summarizing the entire book of um, Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. All right? This is the thesis statement of the book of Ecclesiastes. And it doesn't only appear at the beginning. Like I said, it appears at the end. And as we've learned throughout, the Hebrew word translated vanity is hevel. Hevel is a Hebrew word that means vapor, mist, or smoke. And so in the writings of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, the preacher who's the author of Ecclesiastes, um, uses hevel a lot. In fact, he uses it 38 times. Okay, as we've studied it, you've seen the term vanity come up over and over and over again. And he uses it as a metaphor to describe what life is really like. In his opinion, okay, the preacher's opinion, and I know you guys have experienced this, life is fleeting and futile. Life is fleeting because we're here today and we're gone tomorrow. And that's what my, I've been speaking to my father-in-law about. That's what he told me. Like, life is short. Life is also futile. And the reason that is, is because life is unstable and uncontrollable. Just when we think we have things under control, right? Just when we think we've got things figured out, something else comes in our life that reminds us that we're not really in control. Hence, COVID, right? That's a global example, but I'm sure in your personal life, you have experienced the futility of life. And so the preacher is right. Life and everything here under the sun is truly hevel. It's like chasing after the wind. And I think this is why Ecclesiastes is often viewed as one of the most depressing books in the Bible. Because in Ecclesiastes, right, we come face to face um, with the truth and the reality that nothing really matters, right? All of life is meaningless, The book is described in this way because even though the writer lived life to the fullest, okay, as we've read it, we've got glimpses of who the writer was and what he had, right? As far as we know, it could be Solomon or it could be someone else, and I don't think that really matters because what matters is what he's saying and what he's saying about himself, the writer is, I had everything in this life. I experienced life to the fullest, okay? I had lots of women, I had mansions, I had cars. I would describe the author of Ecclesiastes, or I would say the brainchild behind Ecclesiastes as the ancient world version of Jeff Bezos or something. He just had everything, but 
he came to the conclusion that life is empty and life is meaningless. His pursuit of pleasure in this life sunk him deep in despair. And the reason is that life without God at the center is meaningless. If we try to seek in created things what we can actually experience in the creator God, life will be meaningless. And so during our 21-week exploration of Ecclesiastes, these are some of the truths we discovered. Ecclesiastes is honest about life under the sun, all right? The writer is a realist. He's not an idealist. He's just not a, um, he, he comes across as a, um, as a pessimist or um, no, a cynic, but I just think he's a realist. Ecclesiastes also addresses the biggest and hardest questions that people still have today. Next, Ecclesiastes helps us see that we were designed for more than the trivial pursuit of pleasure. In other words, Ecclesiastes helps us see that satisfaction in the things of this world is like chasing after the wind. Also, Ecclesiastes reminds us that no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter how wise or wealthy or smart you are, guess what? You will die. Death is a certainty for all of us. And death, the topic of death kept coming up over and over and over again. Ecclesiastes also reminds us and unveils the truth that seasons are woven into the fabric of life here on earth. There are good seasons and bad seasons. There are highs and there are lows. There are sorrows and there are joys. Ecclesiastes is also a stark reminder of what will happen to us if we choose what the world tries to offer us instead of what God has to give. Ecclesiastes reminds us that although life is fleeting and futile, this was helpful, right? We are to enjoy the good gifts of life. We saw that in Ecclesiastes. He was just, it was just like awful, like life sucks. Life is meaningless. Uh, uh, uh. And then there were points in Ecclesiastes where he was like, you know what? Enjoy the good gifts God has given you. Enjoy a nice meal with friends. Enjoy the wife or husband that you have. Enjoy your kids. Just enjoy the good gifts of life. Enjoy a nice poke bowl and enjoy it. <laughs> Ecclesiastes, lastly, did this for us as we studied it. Ecclesiastes, I believe, fed the flames of our love 
for Jesus. The more we are exposed to the fleeting nature and futility of life, the more we grow to value the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes is a much needed reminder of the unfortunate um, pain of a life without Christ. Ecclesiastes does this for us. The more we um, get a realistic perspective of life, and our experiences and how corrupt and broken life is, the more we grow to love and appreciate and treasure Jesus Christ. And the more we long for eternity with Christ. One of the quotes I loved most was C.S. Lewis's that said this, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. <laughs> and so we've spent 21 weeks exploring the truths of Ecclesiastes, and um, I've done my best to help us see and explain the text and apply it to our lives. But what we're going to do this morning is to hear from several members of our church, okay? And to hear how God has been using this ancient um, book um, of the Bible in their lives. And so we're going to hear the testimonies of, you know, what has stood out, how has God been using it in your life? So we have four of them. They're going to come and share. And I pray, my hope is that as they share, um, you guys would get um, um, not just a diverse perspective of how God has been using this book, but um, as they share, God would whet your appetite, not just for the book of Ecclesiastes, but ultimately the whole Bible, and ultimately, above all of that, that Christ would be exalted. Yeah, and so they're going to come one after the other. They're going to have like up to five minutes, and they're just going to share their testimony of how God is using it. And so I've said enough. It's time for you guys to hear from them, starting with our lovely lad, Nick James, everybody. Good morning. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, all is grasping after smoke. So as I see it, Ecclesiastes is the writings of a man at the end of his life, struggling with his mortality, trying to answer the most fundamental question, what is the best way to live given the certainty of death? Is there a way in which you can live that is not just grasping after smoke? The preacher's life and his ponderings have been a series of attempts trying to answer this question. He tries to find the answer in his labors, in wisdom, 
pleasure, the accumulation of possessions and righteous living. He concludes that though these things have value, the righteous are often mistreated and destroyed while the wicked prosper. Wisdom has its limits and cannot possibly probe the depths and the mysteries of life. Wealth and possessions will ultimately belong to another. Investments do not guarantee a return. Life is unpredictable. There are no guarantees except the one fate we all share, death. And I can relate to this struggle with mortality. You know, at various times throughout my life, I've had numerous doctor's appointments. And at the conclusion of each of these appointments, the doctor would always say something like, you're a young man, you're in good health. You're a young man, you're in good health. And that phrase kept ringing in my ears after each appointment. You're a young man, you're in good health. I became very accustomed to hearing that phrase. And then more recently, I had a doctor's appointment. And at the end of the appointment, he said, you're in good health for a relatively young man. I said, hold on a second, a relatively young man? When did the transition occur from a young man to a relatively young man? And why was I not consulted? I don't consent to this transition. Yet it occurred. Last year, I celebrated my 40th birthday with the phrase relatively young man reverberating in my mind. And it dawned on me, statistically speaking, I've lived half my life, half already. I feel like I'm just getting started, yet I have lived half my life. It won't be too long until I transition to a middle-aged man, if that hasn't already happened, then to an old man, then to a man at the end stage of life, then to a dying man. Havel, Havel, life is grasping after smoke. It is a vapor, then it vanishes. Who can hold on to it? So what does the preacher conclude in his struggle with mortality? I love, I love his conclusion. I love it. In chapter 12, 13, he says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. You cannot control whether your investments will produce a return, whether you will see peace and prosperity in your life, but you can control how you live. Fear God and keep his commandments. In light of Jesus, what does this mean? The Apostle John tells us in 1 John 3.23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. That we believe that Jesus lived the perfect life we could not, paid our penalty on the cross, reconciling us to the Father, and that he rose from the grave to eternal life. That those who believe in him, his disciples will rise to eternal life to be in the presence of God. The resurrection to eternal life, to be with God, is the hope and the future of every Jesus follower. And this reminds me of one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, Revelation 21, where John is describing Jesus' return and his setting up of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is our future, if you call Jesus Lord. And so in light of that future, how shall I live? And I turn to Jesus uh, in Matthew 6 as he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. As we've been going through Ecclesiastes and in reference to these verses, I've been asking myself, where is my treasure? I spent a lot of time doing things for me, things that I enjoy. But as I think about it, when I am an old man and I look back on my life, what I want most to look back upon is a life well-lived, full of good works for the sake of others to bring about the kingdom of God. And practically what that has looked like for me personally is being involved in Life Explored and being able to present the gospel to people who may have never heard it. And so if you share that same goal of wanting to expand the kingdom, I just ask practically for you to ask yourself, what does that look like for you? Thank you. Hello, it's me again. <laughs> My name is Rebecca Moss. I'm a part of the Pacific Beach Sunday night group. Nice. Um, Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 6 deeply convicted and encouraged me. As someone who identifies as a realist, I couldn't help but nod my head as the preacher described thoughts, fears, feelings, and doubts that I've had over the past few years. Um, specifically, two of Obed's questions boldly challenged an issue I've grappled with in the face of my own trauma and suffering. The first being, why do you question God's unwavering love for you? And the second being, why do you doubt that God truly loves you when you encounter difficulty? These questions, along with the honesty of the preacher, put me face to face with my pride, with my bitterness, and with my lack of trust in God. While the preacher affirmed my realist attitude, he also shattered my solution of self-reliance, which never really solves anything, but always just creates more problems. Obed's next question gave me a more biblical way forward. What truths about God do I need to store up in my heart? Uh, oh my word, this is exactly what I was afraid of. Um, <laughs> in order to use his weapons against temptations uh, to doubt his love. About a year ago, I read a book called Suffering is Never for Nothing by Elizabeth Elliot, and she says the following. There is, in fact, no redemptive work done anywhere without suffering. Redemption, that changes everything, because now my suffering isn't really about me. It's about God's saving grace. 
My suffering points to God's glory and his ultimate defeat of death and evil. So rather than whitewash suffering and adopt an ignorant optimism, and rather than fall deeper into my skeptical attitudes, I felt convicted to better equip myself with biblical truth and rely on God's faithfulness, grace, and sovereignty rather than my own coping mechanisms. My suffering should increase my comfort in God and give me hope as I look forward to spending eternity with him. As Nick read from Revelation 24, 21.4, um, the Lord says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be suffering, no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. My suffering is real, but so is God's mercy and love. Last week, Obed talked about the need to prioritize the Bible, and this year I've committed to an audio reading Bible plan through the Bible Project, and even as I read Judges last week, a truly disturbing book in many ways, um, I couldn't help but see God's mercy and his unwavering love for his people. In the face of terrible evil, God shows us that he is trustworthy and he's good, even when the world is full of death and malice. I'm also trying to complete a slower, more in-depth study of specific books of the Bible, and I'm currently working back through Ecclesiastes, and it's been helpful to retrace my steps and really soak up the truths of this book. Lastly, I'm gradually lessening the noise in my life. As Obed stated last week, we must not be consumed with resources outside of scripture and then neglect God's word. Over the past months, I've been asking myself, when I'm searching for wisdom about my marriage, my parenting, my calling in life, am I looking to God's word or am I following self-help, supposedly Christian books that are just giving me opinions and watered down doctrine? Minimizing outside distractions has caused me to consult scripture more and to pray more something that I think we all take for granted. I recently was comforted and challenged by the end of the book of Job when he repents to the Lord. In Job 42, after the Lord challenges Job, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God's redemptive work is never thwarted by our circumstances or even our own sin. Rather, the difficulties we face in this world point us back to our almighty comforter who sympathizes with us and does not deny our suffering, but walks alongside us, sustaining and refining us. Thank you. My name is Ukeme. And uh, I'm a member of the La Jolla community group. The preacher is a guy that I want to learn from, but he's not someone I want to be like. As I listened to him over the past weeks, he challenged my understanding of some fundamental issues. And whenever I was in community group, I was always that person asking questions and doubting the honesty of the preacher. And I'm going to share the things I struggled with. This guy tells us to believe in heaven and to fix our hope on heaven. And I just struggled on how to capture 
the future value of heaven in present terms. It's easy for me to understand the money in my account or the awesome career I would have, but it wasn't always easy to understand the reality of what heaven is. My senses could capture the earthly experiences around me, but I struggle to capture the reality of what heaven is. The second thing I struggled with was his idea about righteousness. There's a place where this same guy said, don't be too righteous. And I came into Ecclesiastes as someone who believed in principles like many of us do. You know, believe that there's some transfer function between certain inputs and expected outcomes and the expected value of life. And this guy says, you could, you know, have all the inputs and keep all the principles and yet the outcomes aren't guaranteed. What kind of probability is that? <laughs> but here are the things I've learned and I will also tell you the things I'm struggling with in the next two minutes. First, in terms of how he questioned the desire for physical things, something I'm trying to do more is to ensure that how I spend my resources, money to be specific, more closely aligns with what I believe in. So my balance sheet and my P&L should mirror my faith and theology. When he questioned things around pleasure, experiences, and things like that. One of the things I'm learning more is to place value on community. Um, I'm realizing more and more that all blessings come from God through men to men. Even salvation, when God wanted to pass that to me, he had to make his son into a man. And so I am hoping to more and more pass my theology through the filter of community and so whatever I know in my head is not real until I can express it in community and receive it through community. The third thing that I learned was when he spoke about remember your creator. And I realized I always took my work with God to be measured by how much I know of him. Many of us here, you know, are quite good at theology. But one thing I'm trying to do more is to spend time with God, have conversational prayers. So beginning this year, my prayer has been very funny, and if you're around me, you'll be uncomfortable. I'll say things like, hello, God, how are you doing? How was your day? What made you happy? What made you sad? How can I help? Because I just don't want to have head knowledge I don't want the Bible to be another theory of physics that I'm just trying to think I know, even when I don't know the person. And so it's spending time praying differently. But beyond that, as I conclude, I remember the verse in 2 Corinthians 4.18 that says, While we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporary, or transient, 
but the things which are unseen are eternal. And so one of the things I'm also trying to do more and more is meditate on scripture. What does heaven really mean? And how can I meditate on the Bible so that the words distill from my head through community and into my heart? What does it mean? And so I pray that my experience encourages someone out there that you know, our theology, our doctrine is just a framework for us to begin to understand the person of God. Now, I don't have all the answers and there are things I still struggle with. For example, I don't know why he's still born with better than I am. But then, I, if you have answers to some of the questions I've raised, please meet me and encourage me. <laughs> I still want to fully understand how to make the future value of heaven very tangible in my day-to-day -day life. Thank you. You know, that awkward sidewalk dance you hope everyone and no one would notice, but, you know, there it is right in front of the whole church, so good times. Uh, my name's Rebecca, and if you're like, whoa, another Rebecca, all the Rebeccas were having a secret meeting downstairs after, so go ahead and meet me there. Um, I'm a part of the Mission Valley Community Group. Hey! I've, confession, I've had a app on my phone um, that's like an air horn app, and I've been waiting for Obed to be like, Mission Valley meets on so-and-so night, and we're like, burr, 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 burr. and he hasn't done it since I downloaded the app, and I'm very disappointed. <laughs> now I've given away the secret, so now you know. Um, so the poem in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes really stood out to me. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and the terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. I was just really struck by that. It's such a beautiful poem. Like I'm a sucker for beautiful language and this is such a gorgeous poem about death <laughs> and it's such an interesting thing to hear from this same author who has talked previously about death in not so beautiful terms um he spent a good portion of the book i hopefully it's not a controversial statement in a darker mood um he seems to sort of despair and decry the vanity of life and he wasn't sure if human lives had any point he asked in chapter three verses one um, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beast goes down into the earth. He talked about death very bluntly, um, but that same author now in this conclusion looks at death in the light of God. Um, he says, the spirit returns to God who gave it. Um, it's interesting to see sort of the change in the author throughout the, the course of the book um, and his examination of all of this leaves him changed. Um, and I've experienced some of that myself and I think that 
the, you know, after we stop looking at Ecclesiastes, I don't think the change stops. I think God uses his word and washes it over us and, and changes us like rocks in a river. Um, I think it's interesting that he gives us this poem at the very end and reaches for beauty, even in its description of death. Um, it seems to me like it's the author of Ecclesiastes acting much like his creator and creating, um, and creating beauty in something that's not beautiful. Um, and God's been really reminding me that even in the darkest and worst that the earth has to offer, and we've seen some of that, and I'm sure that I'll see more throughout my life as the author has reminded me, um, God is able to turn it to beauty. Um, even the most horrible thing that happens here on earth is not the last word of that. Um, God has a plan for that, and he has a way of changing that and making it beautiful. Um, he's also been reminding me um, in Ecclesiastes that he's aware of the shadows of life, and that's really comforting to me. I don't want to hope that is sugar-coated and really good in the light, but hollow when the troubles come. Um, so it's really comforting that God includes Ecclesiastes in the Bible and is like, hey, I know, like, I get it, I understand, but the cross comes after Ecclesiastes and he, the hope still stands even in the darkness. Um, I've been trying to have a more eternal perspective sort of in the day-to-day life. Um, when troubles come and I'm having a day where you know there's lots of obstacles or challenges, I try to remind myself that they'll probably pass soon and that um, no matter how difficult they are, that God is using everything for the eternal good of those of us who are called according to his purpose. Um, and as an optimist here in Ecclesiastes, I'd like to end it with some hope. Um, I think God honors us by studying a book for studying a book like Ecclesiastes. Um, it says it's better to go to the house of mourning um, in chapter 7. And it's better to look at the difficult things about life in the light of God, even if we don't come to any grand revelations or conclusions in the moment, um, than to go on living foolishly and only looking at nice things. Um, God's playing the long game, and perhaps we'll continue to use the seeds he planted in our study of this book in the years to come. Um, I kind of like to think... As Ukeme said, like, I, I would like to learn from this author, but I'd like to not be like him. Um, it, it's like watching Othello or Romeo and Juliet. Like Shakespeare was not putting those up there as like, you should do this. This is the ABCD of how you should live or do love. Um, they were meant to be catharsis personally and tragedy vicariously. And I hope that we can sort of take that from Ecclesiastes and um, learn from the man who's experienced many things that we can never experience. I'm never going to be the king of Israel. <laughs> I'm never going to, you know, have that much money or that much power. Um, but I'd like to learn from someone who did, who came to the conclusion that um, there is hope and that God makes all things beautiful in their time. shared with us, man. That was phenomenal. And I know for sure uh, many of you um, heard and were inspired and impacted by what you heard. Um, and so King's Cross Church, reading and studying Ecclesiastes can definitely be discouraging and lead us into dark places. But may we all, in these places, when we're exposed to these things, may we all see um, and know um, our Lord Jesus Christ more. Um, and I think that's what's been happening over and over again. 
Um, and so for you, as you are thinking and as you are hearing, these are some questions for you to just go away with and be thinking about um, what has stood out to you um, as we've studied Ecclesiastes. Even what has stood out for you this morning as you've heard reflection from members of our church um, and how um, are you thinking about it and how are you going to apply some of these truths to your life? Because there's no point just coming and listening and nodding our heads and going, hmm, that was good. That would be a good tweetable quote. Um, the goal of our gatherings is not just to hear and study, but to say, God, I want to apply this in uh, my life. And so for some of you, it, it, it might be, God, I just need to trust you. I need to understand that you are sovereign over the darkness of this world and the experiences I'm going through, and I just need to trust you. And for some of you, confession and repentance is what might be needed. You are involved in habitual sin of some sort that needs to be confessed and that needs to be repented of. And so wherever you are, don't just hear but apply the truths of God's word. This brings us to the end and the closure of our, of our study as a congregation of the book of Ecclesiastes. After Easter, we will be opening up the book of Philippians in order to study that and to process it together in order to discover um, the joys of being a church and being Christians. And so I look forward to that. Um, but before that, um, next week, we have Mission Sunday. Mission Sunday will be us highlighting the fact that God has not called us to look inwards but also outwards we're going to be highlighting some missionaries and what god is calling us to and then there's easter um, and then after easter we start the book of philippians and so it's been a joy standing and preaching ecclesiastes but it's also been a joy um, visiting and being part of community groups and discussing some of this content and so may it not leave us, but may God continue to use it to challenge us and change us for his glory and our good. Let's pray. God, thank you again for what you have done. Six months of intentional focus on Ecclesiastes has caused us to ask many hard questions. Um, it's caused us to um, wrestle with some difficult topics. But God, I pray and I've seen it that may it continue to inspire us to love your son Jesus Christ more. Thank you so much for the opportunities you give us to study your word. God, may we not take it for granted, but may we enjoy you 
through fellowship and through studying and praying. You are a good God. And so, God, as we try to live for you here under the sun, may our lives matter, not because of what we do necessarily, but mainly because of what you have done for us in Jesus Christ and the knowledge and the truth and the experience of salvation in Jesus Christ. May that be what shapes how we think and how we feel and how we live. God, we need you. We want your power through your spirit to work, continue to work in the life of our church love you so much and as we seek to be a church family on mission with Jesus God I pray that you will bring about your purposes in and through our church and we can't wait to witness you do all of this in Jesus name we pray amen